Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 82. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce a friend of mine and a special guest, Martin Rudeau. Martin, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Since you're driving, Mark, you bet I'm buckled in. Oh, well, you've got a lot of confidence, my friend. (laughs) Martin Rudeau, president of Rudeau Specialty Publishing, publishes Vintage Drift Magazine for Sovereign, the Pacific Northwest region's largest and most active vintage racing club along with other monthly and annual publications. His two regional sports car racing history books, Weekends of Glory and Long Straights and Hairpin Turns, have received national and international recognition. A second edition of Long Straights has been published as V-Lines, a reprint of the fascinating long-lost newsletters published about Formula V racing in the 1960s and early 70s. Martin was born in Seattle and has attended numerous regional sports car races in the latter half of the 50s and the first half of the 60s when his father was active as a racer and a club official. He spent over 40 years in the publishing industry and is also an internationally recognized track and field coach and official. So Martin, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Could you please take some time and share some more about your history, your career, your interest, and of course, your passion for automobiles. You bet, Mark. Well, I love to talk about myself, and I love to talk about cars, so this will be fun. (laughs) Good. You know, I'm going to mention my dad a lot in this uh, discussion. Wonderful. And he was a huge influence on me, and I've got to say, my grandmother once told me that when he was just a little kid, and this is the late teens, his favorite thing to read were new car catalogs. Wow. And they used to, he, she could remember him sitting, lying on the floor like kids would read their Sunday comics, hmm? looking at uh, car catalogs. Wow. That's very cool. I mean, you know, Graham, who knows what. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I kind of grew up with that, that kind of uh, surrounding me in general. But uh, I was just a typical kid in the 50s, interested in, boy, those days I was in Seattle, Husky football, the hydroplane races. And, all of a sudden, and I'll talk more about this later if I can, there was a Jaguar 120 in our household. And my this is 1956, and my dad wanted to go racing. So we started going to races, and he just became an absolute fanatic about racing. And I just found it absolutely fascinating. The culture, the people, and I was just a, a little kid, but I, uh, well, a teenager, I looked upon these drivers as my heroes, really, just like I looked upon some hydroplane drivers like Bill Muncy or Jack Regis, if names are familiar with some people. Uh, the people in the Northwest, like Tom Carstens and Pete Lovely, George Keck, 
they were uh, really, and I just could not wait to start racing myself, much to my mother's uh, concern, as you could <laughs> well imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I got headed in a really different direction. I was always a really terrible athlete. I was a big gangly guy, you know, baby Huey type, except thin, a thin baby Huey. Mm. And all of a sudden, I found out that I could run really well. And I was best run in our gym class and the first thing I ever done well in sports. So gosh, I became a distance runner. Really, I still was interested in uh, cars. I went to my dad's races, but when I, I just gradually got away from it and I still like cars. I still kind of followed, you know, car racing, but I got really involved in uh, track and I almost made the Olympic team in 1968. Wow. Right after I got back from Vietnam, I just was you know, I, I tend to jump into things pretty heavily. and But then I got injured, hurt my knee. And that was back in the days that uh, some of us older athletes might remember. The only thing you knew to do was cut you open like a mackerel. Mm. So after they did that to my knee, I was finished. Yeah. But I didn't turn back to cars. I started uh, officiating at, uh, at running and, uh, and race walking events. I eventually became uh, the national race walking coach and went all over the world coaching and officiating race walking, including three Olympic Games. Wow. So that became a, a big thing. At the same time, you know, I I got married, which is not incidentally, <laughs> had two boys. And in the publishing industry locally here, I helped start uh, some kind of well-known publications, even though they're a lot different now. One is uh, Seattle Weekly and Washington Magazine. And I was with some other other magazines. Uh, finally, about uh, 15 years ago now, I started my own publishing company. thought, you know, if I can't make a lot of money, I can have fun. And I had kind of gotten back in, involved in cars, and I, I'd like to talk about it a little bit more later. And I had the opportunity to publish a Northwest Runner magazine, which is a, a successful monthly running magazine. And at the same time, well, Dick Buckingham at Sovereign asked me to join Sovereign. I can't remember how this happened. And he said something to the effect that, gosh, we've got nobody to do our club newsletter or magazine, and uh, we can't find anybody good, so would you do it? Something, Dick was a great salesman. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know Dick. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I started doing the, uh, you know, the club magazine. And the publishing company has gone, uh, as I thought, more feeding my passions than making a lot of money. But it's, you know, it's been reasonably successful. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's, if I may, that's kind of a quick flow of my life's history. I've had a pretty interesting life, I think, and it got a lot more to look forward to, too. Well, I certainly hope so. And we'll talk more about Vintage Drift and also those books that you've published about racing up here in the Northwest in a little bit. But I always like to start our journey here with a success quote. And this is something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Martin, take the wheel. You know what? I'm going to, this is so basic, and maybe it's corny, but I actually has always stayed with me. One of the men I admire most in my life was my high school uh, track coach. His name is Frank Ahern, and as a matter of fact, he's in the the, uh, Coach's Hall of Fame. He just had a real basic way of putting it, and he said, always do your best. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I have thought about that at times, I can't 
<laughs> say that I've always let, I've always lived up to it, but it, I really have often thought about that. And if you're going to do something, do your best. Oh, absolutely. And Martin, perhaps you could share with us how you've incorporated that great quote. And I love it when, when quotes come from teachers that we've had in our past, uh, rather than famous people, although famous people, he's somewhat famous, but I love it when it comes from people that we really interacted with. How have you incorporated that quote into your life and your career and your passion for cars? Well, always do your best kind of means if you're going to do something, do it well. And and that's my my interaction with cars besides my own somewhat brief uh, career racing was is through publishing and anything I do, I do try to do my best. And I, I just, you know, you can carry that to ridiculous extremes, but within reason, just make sure you're giving people a good quality product and you feel good about it, that you know you have done your best. And I have, way back when I was a craft food salesman, which is way back, I used to think about that all the time. And have I really done everything here I need to do? Have I done my best? And if you can ask yourself that question honestly, it really does go a long ways. Sometimes those simple things, quotes like that, that are so so simple, are so vastly important in what we do. And as, as young entrepreneurs that may be listening to the show just starting out in their career, it is sometimes that simple. Just do your best. And if you have done your best, you'll know it. And if you haven't done your best, you'll know it as well. <laughs> and very, Mark, you really put the real secret to it. And yeah. be honest with yourself in that respect. Uh, yes, be honest with yourself. It reminds me of another saying, excuses are lies we tell ourselves. So, Martin, what I'd like to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and, and really crawl under the hood and, and get our hands a little dirty. Would you share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career that really pushed you to a breaking point? But more importantly, share with our listeners how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. Uh, if I could, in the non-automotive area, when I mentioned earlier I'd had that knee operation, mm -hmm. it, when I realized that my competitive career was over, I wanted to find some way to stay active and, and meet my goals uh, some other way. Uh, like I wanted to make the Olympic team. That was a huge goal and I think a realistic one. And I couldn't do it as a competitor, so I turned the same amount of energy into officiating, coaching, judging, and I made three Olympic teams in that respect, in that way. And oh, yeah. that's just, it's kind of redirecting your passion rather than just giving up. I mean, and I, I can understand how people who are involved in something, it's often a sporting sport, in something in sports that you're really just dying to do. And something takes it away from you and you get so discouraged. You just say, you know, to heck with it. I just, it just, I can't do it. I can't reach, reach the goal I wanted. So I'm just going to quit. You know, I'm just not going to be involved. And well, I, I was able to reach to re almost, there's nothing like being an athlete, <laughs> but, <laughs> but almost was able to make it and, you know, realize my dreams in another way. And, and found a hell of a lot of satisfaction in coaching people. That's extremely satisfying. Oh. Now, that was a long time ago. More recently, as you know, Mark, I had in a surgical error, I lost my vision in my right eye. Mm, yes. And I, I'll tell you, that's another thing that people, would, I didn't think a lot about this, making a conscious decision, but a lot of people said, you know, I can't believe you're just, you're out here 
a month after that happened, I was out at the racetrack. Obviously, I wasn't driving, period, then. Mm -hmm. I had a big eye patch on. But, you know, I'm not going to let this ruin, ruin, ruin my life. Okay, I lost vision in one eye, and my vision's terrible in the other, but I'm just not going to sit home and feel sorry for myself or... And, and actually, the first things I was doing was going out to this to my vintage races where I love the people and I love the cars. And I used to, I was sitting there thinking, you know, if I lose my vision 100%, I'm still going to come out here so I can hear the sound of the, of the engines. Well, I really want to thank you for sharing two really personal stories with our listeners because uh, obviously two physical things that happened to you that changed your life in a very dramatic way, but you did a classic, what we would call in business, you can call it in life, a pivot. You made a change and you found a way to stay in the game, if you will. And I think that's just absolutely tremendous and a great inspiration for, for everybody listening because so many people would think, oh, my career's over, it's washed up, I, I give up. But no, you didn't do that. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Would you share with us, and maybe it was that moment when your dad got that Jaguar, but would you share with us a moment in your life that instigated your passion for cars? Tell us about that pivotal moment when you really knew you were a car guy. Boy, Mark, I love to tell this story, and it's almost emotional. <laughs> 1956, when I was 12, my mom and dad had been down in California for a month, and I really missed them a lot. And, you know, fortunately, I wasn't a cynical teenager yet. I was still a kid. So uh, I, they were coming home on a certain day, a, a Saturday, I believe, or Sunday. And I just started actually walking down the road uh, from my house to meet them. <laughs> they were a little later than I thought, so I'd walked about a mile and a half. And, I saw, and they said they had a car, and I saw cars coming. And I'd see a special car coming, and I'd, oh, gee, is that them? And then it, what did show up, here they came down the road in an XK120 Jaguar, and I can picture this as clear as day, my mom and dad just beaming ear to ear uh, and driving that great Jag 120. And uh, that that was that moment was just it, it was funny. I almost had a vision of my future. It's uh, but I really did. Like there was something almost like a something that was ground shaking in my mind that this is something that's going to mean a lot to me. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love yeah. the fact that seeing that Jaguar had such an impression. I mean, that was that was pretty strong. Oh, it was. And then, okay, there's there's this car, which is great. Now, racing. Later that summer, uh, we went to the SCCA Nationals at Bremerton Airport. And there's a Bremerton course now, but this was really different. They used the whole airport, and it was quite an interesting course. And it was so fantastic. My dad couldn't race because he'd had a surgical procedure, and he had started racing. I'll never, I can picture that again. Uh, I can tell you who won each race there. And one of the races, I had started reading the car magazines. One of the races was Paul O'Shea in a Mercedes-Benz 300 SL and Dick Thompson in a Corvette. Fabulous race. And I was, because, you know, we were had a European car, I was cheering for the Mercedes at the time. Yeah. I remember that very well, and, and we knew our local guy, Pete Lovely. That was all exciting. Then the feature was Carol Shelby driving a 4.9 Ferrari, and I can, boy, can I picture that guy. And at the, the end of the race, I went down to the racetrack at my dad's urging, and he had gotten through talking to everyone. He was standing by the car by himself, and I got his autograph, which I still have in the program. <laughs> and I can picture him 
dark curly hair. And one thing about the guy, which I don't think it always comes through in photos, he was a very athletic looking guy. He was lift, muscular, but not over. He just looked like a, an athlete mm-hmm. in 1956. So though that really, gosh, that just got me all excited about racing. And I started reading every, which we got, and I still have a heck of a lot of them, actually. We started getting every car magazine uh, in, under the sun, subscription to everything. Oh, wow. So I just inundated with it. Yeah, what a wonderful story. That's great. And getting to meet Carol Shelby back when he was actually racing cars before he stopped racing and went into yeah. all the other professions he was involved with in motor cars. Wonderful story. If I could have another story, too, sure. along these lines, Mark, this is how I got involved in vintage racing. Again, it has to do with my dad. He had a stroke, and he was confined to a wheelchair in 1995. I had read that there were these vintage races. I, I wasn't really following racing much at all in those days. I'd been so involved in, in running and track, and I, but I saw that there was a vintage race. So I thought, well, I'll take Dad out there, and I'll have to push him in the wheelchair. <laughs> we went out to Pacific Raceways. I didn't even know there was a highway there. I tried to go the old way. Gosh, the racetrack had hardly changed since I was last there in 1965 watching Mark Donahue win the USRRC. It had hardly changed. And there were the cars out there racing that I remember being such a fanatic about. And that got me inspired for vintage racing. Oh, and wonderful. my dad died two months later. Oh, well, oh, that's so sad. But you, you got to go there with him and yeah. relive that, that yeah, childhood. Yeah, That got me energized for vintage racing right there wow wonderful you know it's interesting too i was probably at that same race because 95 was a year after i moved here to the pacific northwest and i was just getting involved in vintage racing trying to decide if i wanted to start vintage racing and i was going that year taking my son who is now 20 he was a very tiny little kid and i put him on yeah. a backpack and you know, put him on my back and take him to the track and put little earphones on his head to oh, protect yeah. his ears. And, uh, yeah, I was probably at the track that same day with you. So, uh, Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. great story. Well, I saw you race several times in, the, in you know, subsequent years. Yeah, yeah, it was great fun. I'd like to get into that again sometime. How about an aha moment, Martin? Can you share with us when an idea or concept you had for your business, when you really thought it was going to make it and you went, aha, I think I've got something here. Tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, I can a couple things. When I started doing uh, Vintage Drift magazine for Sovereign, it was just a, a glorified newsletter, and I had a, a really wonderful friend of mine uh, uh, named Jerry Fiorito. Uh, I remember he, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he came, he he had we'd got I had published about three issues of this, and Jerry came to me and said. Uh, the first time I met him, he said, hey, Martin, you're really selling yourself short. This magazine is reaching a terrific audience. You ought to be, you know, it can be color. You ought to step it up and, and produce a, a color magazine, and you can sell advertising to it, And I, which I did. And it's now, as you know, you know, because uh, we've been involved in some advertising things in the magazine uh, it's it's we saw enough advertising to be able to produce the kind of magazine I want with Finney's Drift. And that was uh, when people started saying, oh, yeah, sure, I'll advertise in, with you. This isn't something, I don't make a fortune out of this at all, but it, it you know, I, I make a little money and it pays for itself. The other, uh, 
I guess, aha moment was when I was sharing, when I, I always would, I started, when I started going to vintage racing, I started uh, talking to some people about my past in it. And I started kind of saying, oh gosh, it would be so great to write a book about those days because I remember them so clearly. I just, I, this is about 10 years ago now, but I, then is now, I have very vivid memories of the races I saw and the people I saw and the courses I went to, just extremely vivid memories. And they were just wonderful. Uh, I would always, I would try to find out everything I could and I'd get to know different things about different people. And my mom and dad were older than a lot of uh, couples and people were racing and they used to have young racers over to our house and some of the, uh, for dinner. I remember, you know, sitting at the table with them. Anyway, I was, and, I have old pictures that I liked that somebody we had taken or somebody had taken. I was sharing this with someone idly, and uh, two two gentlemen, one Stark Shelby and another guy named John Long, was sovereign. Yeah, and they both said, "Martin, you know, we'll finance this book. You want to do this book? We'll finance it." They didn't say they'd give, and they didn't give me the money, mm -hmm. but they loaned me the money to do it at no interest, wow. and it was so great to see that people had confidence in me and shared this kind of passion for telling the stories. And those were, those were two things that really got me, you know, where I am today yeah. with it, wherever that is. <laughs> well, great stories about great people and great friends. And it's a great thing about the car hobby and the automotive world is uh, you meet other people who share your passion and you, you are instant friends and you build relationships and those you built with, with those three gentlemen, who I know all three of them have lasted until today, and it's it's just fantastic. Some great aha stories there. Thank you for sharing those. Let's have a little fun. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you had with that vehicle with me. You bet. Of course, my dad's 120 wasn't my car. And this may surprise you a little bit, but my favorite old car, you know, my first car, was a 1949 Packard. This great big wow. uh, behemoth. <laughs> yeah. The car was kind of a purple color, and the license plate was APB, and we used to call it the purple behemoth. Mm. And, you know, it had great big overstuffed uh, seats. And my, I had uh, – thing, one thing I remember about the car, amazing, I survived. I used to – I wasn't didn't know a lot about driving on the snow, and I was going to college east of the mountains. And I took two trips over the Snoqualmie Pass – in blizzards and how I ever made it. I don't know. Cause I was just barreling along and I thought, Oh, this car is so big. The, the tires are just going right through the fresh snow. <laughs> and yeah. on the pavement. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Also, the car had great cushion, the big back seat. So I've got other memories of it. It was a great date car. <laughs> even, this is a family show, I, Martin. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I won't go into any details, but uh, people that know me know how tame that was anyway. But, it did have that going for it, even though some people looked at it and kind of laughed. It was quite a quite a gawky car. I wish I had that car now. Yeah. It had one of the great big, you know, the swan kind of hood oh, on Oh, yes, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, I see them at, you know, they're in, in, uh, at auctions and classic shows, and they're, they're very cool cars. Oh, yeah. So that was the really first really special car I had. Uh. And, I'll, and if I may, I'll tell you quickly one other thing. Yes. I, when I got out of the Army, my... Uh, I had, we had a Mustang in the family. It was one of the real early Mustangs, you know, pretty tame. Mm -hmm. I think it was a 215 engine and a three-speed automatic, but it was a convertible. And my 
when I got out of the army, I bought the car from my family and I took off for California in middle of May, 1968. It was just gorgeous weather all the way down to Los Angeles where I was heading. You take about a wonderful memory in that car. I was just driving along, playing rock and roll music as loud as I could in the radio and <laughs> out of the army for out of, out of the army two weeks yeah and just have you know free at last not a care in the world that's a great car memory oh it must have been yeah i can just i can just see you cruising down the coast that must have been fantastic what about seller's remorse is there a vehicle that you've had in your past that you really wish you could have back well my dad had three ferraris oh in, in the early 60s and for value I wish we had those still, but yeah. hell, everybody who had a Ferrari in the 60s or probably the 70s could say the same thing. You know, they just weren't. Uh, I have a picture, just a quick incident. My de- mom and dad had found a 250 GT in a park in a for sale in a in a used car lot in Southern California, and, I, and I've still got a picture of it. They didn't buy it, but but that's where they were in those days. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, the Jag 120, my dad had. I would kill to get that car back. Just. I think if we ever, if I ever found that car and knew it was that car, I think I'd go out and sleep in it. Just mm-hmm. wonderful memories. My own cars, you know, this is really a kind of a, in some ways, some people might think this is almost a nerd car, but it's an Alfetta sports sedan that I had, which I tell you, for my height, I'm 6'3", my leg length, that was the most perfect car for me, and it performed great, and I, I sat in it very comfortably. I really loved the car. I had to get rid of it because the body you was know, an alpha. The body was just about to rust off. Yeah. I'd love to get another one because, like I said, for my height, that was a really nice car. Just fit you like a glove. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, this next question I always ask people if they have any projects that they're working on that really have them excited and fired up. And I'd love to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners about your two new books. You bet. Well, there, one is, you know, The Long Straits and Hairpin Turns was the first history book I made in the Northwest, and then that was in the 60s. And that was very successful. It sold out totally and then started getting outrageous prices on the Internet. And after, naturally, anybody will tell you when they publish a history book on anything. As soon as it's published, all kinds of great material shows up. So I had this material, and I saw how the, how popular the book was, and I so I added... 16 pages of really nice material, really happy about it, to the first edition and reprinted Long Straits and Hairpin Turns, second edition. That just came out. As a matter of fact, I've got 25 copies here, and I was told today that they're being delivered tomorrow, the rest of them. Mm. So that's, I'm very excited about that book. I, I'm, I'm very proud of that book. It's, it's been received really well, and it really reflects. I just poured my love for the people and the cars and everything from those that era into the, that book. And I'm selling it with the second one, Weekends of Glory, which was the, the 60s. Mm-hmm. I was there for half that decade. I'm selling those together in a box set. Then I've got a a Formula V book. Now, you know, everybody knows Formula V, I'm sure. It's not it's not the most spectacular part of, of vintage or any racing, but it's pretty interesting. And there's a fascinating story a guy from from Euphrata, Washington, of all things, became the leading world's expert in Formula V racing. Hmm. And he wrote a series of new letter, newsletters called V-Line, which have tremendous, extremely practical, you'd have to see them to appreciate them, mechanical w- w- tuning, 
of Formula V bodies and Volkswagen engines, how to make your 1200 Volkswagen engine dead stock perform at the best. And they're tremendous newsletters. And this guy was not even a high school graduate. It was a self, um, you know, self-taught mechanical genius. And it's, and these newsletters are terrific. There's also a record of Formula V racing in the 60s and 70s, which you just about can't find. So we put all these together. I got tattered old newsletters. He got them all together and cleaned them all up. Thank God they're Photoshop nowadays. And put them out in a book called V-Lines. And that just went to the printer actually in the background in another computer right now. It just, it's 80% (laughs) to the printer, even in the background. So that's going to be out real soon. Then I'm working on our website, vintagedrift.com. I'm going to eventually, and it's going to be off to a good start, but I'm going to make that a, a history uh, of racing in depth that you can't go into in any book, like entry list programs, all the pictures that couldn't get into the book for one reason or another, I'll put them on there and there's some really good stuff. And that's going to be a real fun project. Just a, It'll just be a hobby. I hope I sell the books enough to support me in my old age. <laughs> well, The it's, website's a labor of love. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're doing a wonderful job of uh, bringing securing that history for all of us racers so that uh, it's there forever. And I can't wait to to see that new book and get my hands on your your current books as well. Fantastic. Now, here's a funny question for you, Martin. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? You know what I think I'd be is a Jaguar XKSS. Ooh, an XKSS. And why is that? Well, I just, you know, there was the, it's just about the epitome of European production it was going to be a production car you know quote unquote of the 50s they look fantastic they're so they're sexy as can be and they have they have great performance and they're rare as you know i mean Mm -hmm. didn't didn't they make 12 of them or 14 before the factory fire i believe uh nine of the 25 cars they'd built were destroyed so there ended up only being about 16 of those cars built yeah that's just, a, and I just, I love the way they, I haven't driven one, Mark, and hint, hint, if anybody has one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get over to Martin's house right now. Yeah, you bet. Or I'll come to your house. Yeah, even better. Uh, but I'm sure they performed great for the for the period. They were, you know, they were the next, a D Jaguar in sheep's clothing, barely sheep's yeah. clothing. Yeah. I think that's what I, that's what I'd like to be. And also, uh, there's only room for two in there, so. I could invite some intimate friends. You'd be one I'd, I'd invite, Mark. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'd love to go for a ride in one of those cars with you. I, I've seen several, but I've never had the pleasure of driving one either. So that'd be a fun day to take that over to Pacific Raceway and drive it around the track. Oh, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, here's a fun part of our talk. I call it the last lap. And being a racer as you are, you know what that means. The white flag is out. And these are a series of questions that I'll ask you. And then you'll give me some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? You bet. Here we go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Clean it and polish it, and it'll run a hell of a lot better. (laughs) That sounds like something Tom Armstrong would have told you. (laughs) (laughs) I like that, though. Everyone knows me as a guy who loves to keep my cars clean, even race cars. So that's great. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Well, I get enthused very easily, and I grasp other people's ideas and and see where they could go. 
I also am able to to uh, generate that enthusiasm in other people, and it's sincere. I mean, I I really can see the potential in something and immediately get enthused about it. it can get you in some trouble sometimes, but it's a, a part of my uh, personality that I enjoy. That's the coach in you coming out. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, I think so. Do you have a resource that you really enjoy that you could share with our listeners? Maybe a website that you go to often, or maybe it's an app that you use on your phone? There sure are websites I go to every day. You know, there are everybody's favorite, I think, now is Bring a Trailer. Oh, a yeah. yeah. Well, Randy Nonenberg, who is one of the partners in that business, uh, has been on Cars, yeah. That's a great site. I hate Every time morning I get that, I go, oh, there's more cars I want. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? Also, I have learned more about cars. I bet a lot of people do this. I like to open that and look at the cars and not and, and kind of block what it is and see can I identify it? Mm, yeah. And it's it's actually the most fun when I almost can but I can't because then you can I learn something. I didn't even know there was a car called that, you know. Mm-hmm. And sure. That's happened a lot. And so that that's always fun. I like uh I actually for general knowledge, I subscribe to Auto Week magazine and I also get their daily uh updates email yes. updates. oh yeah they're great though they really are and they give you a wide spectrum mm-hmm. you know you new new cars modern cars old cars auctions r- a lot of racing news i really enjoy that a lot that those are t- those are two that i go to one sent to me well they're both I, i'm sus- subscribed to both of them yeah oh they're great i get those too i love them is there a book other than your books that you've read recently that you'd like to share with our listeners well, I'd like to say one old classic that was another thing that really got me interested in cars, and it's Ken Purdy's Kings of the Road. Hmm. Ken was an extremely good writer and full of enthusiasm, intended to uh, maybe gloss things a little bit or burnish them. But uh, people used to, back when he was a well-known writer, people used to say he invented Bugatti's and Nuvolari uh-huh. because he was so enthralled with both those he wrote so enthusiastically about them recently i i really enjoyed walt hanskin but hanskin's bio which came out a couple years ago you know a guy that raced many many years i'll tell you a book it's not a car book but it's one i think anybody listening to your show would really enjoy and that's called unbreakable it's the story of a guy he just died about a month ago who was a uh runner and was captured by the Japanese in World War II. And I have recommended that book to a lot of people. It's called Unbreakable. It's going to be a motion picture mm. in a year. A tremendous book, not just about cars, but there's something about the perseverance and the will to survive. You just admire this man enormously. Mm. Sounds fantastic. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find links to all these great resources that Martin has shared with us today at carsyeah.com slash Martin. Rudo, and that's R-U-D-O-W. And do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars, Martin? Well, yeah, I think kind of, I obviously, I, I still, because of my involvement with track and field, I still follow that sport a lot. I also am uh, a huge fan of early 1950s comic books that are, uh, I have a big reprint collection, actually, the, the ones that got comics banned by the Comics Code. <laughs> and I, that's probably a different hobby than a lot of people have. But, uh, you know, that's that's a, those are two of my, you know, I like to follow sports. I'm a Seahawk fan, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
Okay, now we're up to the checkered flag, Martin, and this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and it's something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money's no object, I'm going to buy you whatever you want today, what would that car be and why? You know what? I'm going to go back to that Jaguar XKSS. Mm. And I, it's for, for the same reasons. I The car is rare. I think it would get you, if you had that, when you had, of course, I would have the car running beautifully. You would get into any automotive event in the world when you can bring that car with you. Anybody would want to have you. If it's a concourse, if you're going to take it out to a vintage race, anybody would just love to, you know, to see you there. Also, because it is just a, you know, an extension just of the Jag D-Type, you know, it's not impossible to get parts for that car mm-hmm. if you needed them. And I and also, you know what? I would never get tired of looking at it. Mm, yeah, it's a beautiful car. Well, that's a great choice. And Martin, you've taken us on a great ride today. And I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and with the Cars Yeah listeners. Would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Jaguar? Uh, uh, I'm lost in reverie, so go ahead. <laughs> myself back. <laughs> one parting piece of guidance for our listeners. Well, I'll tell you, I'd say, you know, follow your passion. Mm-hmm. You, if you don't make a lot of money, you'll have a lot of fun, and you'll meet people along the way that share your passion, and they'll become your best friends. Uh, great advice, and that certainly is true in the car hobby, vintage racing, collecting, whatever. You meet another friend who loves cars, and, and they do, or another stranger who becomes your friend. And again, I'll remind our listeners that you can learn more about Martin on his show notes page at carsyeah.com slash Martin Rudeau. And Martin, how can our listeners learn more about you? Oh, they're just it's just looking it up on the internet, looking my name up on Google. Is there a, a website that people can go to to find out how to get a hold of your books? You bet. That's vintagedrift.com. That's the site I'm building up, um, and boy, it's going to continue to be updated with new pictures, new material, and the books can be ordered through there, and you can find out a little bit more about them on that site as well. Great. Well, thank you, Martin, for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and sharing your wonderful stories with us. I've had a great time with you. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.